Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Jordana Levine, and you're listening to the Inspired Table Podcast. Each week, you'll be led down an inspired path of curiosity as I chat to some of my favorite soul-centered folk about the things that inspire me daily in the hope that some of that juicy inspiration will rub off on you. So pour yourself your favorite cuppa and take a seat at my table. I promise you'll leave happier, healthier, and bursting with inspiration. interview is sitting up there in my top three I would say on this podcast perhaps because the subject matter is a combination of two things that I greatly admire Ayurveda and the moon but also because my guest Katie Ministus is just one of those people who you could listen to all day her teachings are fascinating, so relevant, and completely digestible, and we barely skim the surface in this interview. Katie Ministus is an advanced level Jivamukta yoga teacher, wise earth Ayurveda master teacher, doula, author, and holds the highest possible accreditations with both Yoga Alliance and Yoga Australia. Katie's actually one of my teachers at my current yoga teacher training and in the first five minutes of being in her presence I knew she was going to be teaching me so much more than just how to be a yoga teacher. Her knowledge is incredible but it's how she shares it that makes her such a special soul. I actually attended an Ayurveda and women's workshop of Katie's over the weekend. And if you are a woman who is interested in her own reproductive system, healthy periods, fertility, and just general good health, I cannot recommend one of Katie's workshops enough. As always, if you enjoy this episode, make sure you leave me a review on iTunes so I can hear what you have to say about it. And if you haven't subscribed yet, make sure you press the subscribe button. That's how you'll know when new episodes are live. I hope you enjoy this episode of the podcast with Katie Ministers. Um, I well, I guess I wear a few different hats. I'm a yoga teacher. Um, I'm also a mother. I have four young boys. The eldest is ten, and the youngest is one, little Bubba. Um, so that takes quite a lot of my time and energy at, at the present time. I am also an Ayurvedic practitioner and a practicing doula, so a birth support person. Um, so yeah, all of those different, actually all of those different elements of who I am and what I do kind of feed into each other, I guess. Um, I have a particular interest in women's work and um, pre and postnatal care uh, and, and all of that kind of viewed through the lens of, of yoga and Ayurveda. 
Beautiful. I did not realize that you had four boys. Yes. My goodness. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty busy household that I live in. Yeah, that in itself is a full-time job. It, it pretty much is, yeah. yes. Okay, so you did mention Ayurvedic practitioner. Can you yes. um, tell us a little bit about what that actually entails, what that means? Sure. Well, for me at the moment, the main way in which I'm practicing Ayurveda is through running courses and trainings um, because my time's quite limited because of the children. I find that I can do a lot more work um, working in groups rather than working one-on-one. Mm. Although when I do teach yoga, particularly when I teach yoga one-on-one, like private yoga classes, I'll often include some elements of the Ayurvedic um, work within that. Um, the style of Ayurveda, or I guess the lineage we could say of Ayurveda that I have studied and that I practice is called Wise Earth Ayurveda, and it has a particular focus on what we call sadhana. So sadhana are daily rituals, daily practices. It's really all about integrating the teachings of Ayurveda into everyday life. Um, rather than a clinical model, I think some Ayurvedic practitioners are, I guess, more like doctors. And so they're working more with what we could see as a sort of Western clinical model um, where you might go have a consultation, be asked lots of questions and then usually given some herbs or some kind of, um, you know, something to take, some kind of um, prescription, usually a herbal prescription. So I don't really work like that. I'm more about lifestyle and um, integrating the philosophy and the practices within your current routines and rhythms. Which I guess makes it a lot more manageable for people and not such a big shift. That's right. And it's also, um, I think, a much more effective healing model. So the idea is is that, you know, my teacher, um, Maya Tawari, talks about inner medicine. So the idea is is that we already have everything that we need within us to be whole, to be healthy, um, to be spiritually nourished um, and Really, it's about accessing those things within the context of what we're already doing rather than what can be a bit more disempowering as a model, which is where we kind of hand over responsibility for our health and well-being to a practitioner and ask that practitioner, whether they're, you know, an Ayurvedic practitioner or a doctor or whatever they might be, to heal us, to fix us Mm. with something external. So it's very much it sort of turns that model on its head and it says, well, actually, everything that you need to be healthy, even if you're quite profoundly unwell, um, is within you already it's just a case of accessing those resources and sometimes the answer to that might be pharmaceutical medications or surgery or more um, severe interventions but the starting point is always with the self rather than coming from an external perspective yeah and I guess that external perspective that's just the way we've sort of been raised in western society is to Absolutely. lean is to lean on external professionals because they know better than we do, which is kind of the opposite to what you're saying, right? Yes, exactly mm. that, exactly that. So, you know, part of the teachings of Wise Earth Ayurveda are all about connecting to your intuitive, and this is so in line with the work that you do, which is why I love 
you know, I really am enjoying your work so much. Um, it's all about awakening your intuition, uh, really tuning into listening to the messaging from your own body physically, but also emotionally and spiritually as well so that we really get to know ourselves and through that knowing of ourselves we have a much clearer idea of what it is that's going to heal us so depending on what kind of issues are presenting um, or it might just be a focus on general health and well-being there might not actually be any particular illnesses or issues but just that you want to enhance your your health and well-being uh, you as a as an individual kind of guide that journey um, and then seek out the help and support and resources that you need Again, rather than getting the input from an external source that, that has nothing to do with your own knowledge of your own experience. Mm. And um, what, what do you say to people who, who would come to you or an Ayurvedic practitioner of some description and, and feel you know, quite disconnected from their body and be like, well, I don't know what to do because I don't know what I need? Where, where yeah. do you start with someone like that? Yeah, it's a good question. So the first step is really about acknowledging self-responsibility, acknowledging that wherever you're at, you're there as a result of your own actions, your own thinking, um, your own way of being in the world. And that for many people is a huge step because we're quite disempowered. And as you said before, we're very much inclined towards looking outside of ourselves, whether we're looking outside to blame someone else or whether we're looking outside to get a quick fix um, in terms of the healing journey. So the first step is that kind of self-responsibility. And then from there, usually there's a little bit of work to do. So for me, a lot of my work is about helping people become embodied. Most of us live not really inside our bodies. We're very mm -hmm. much in our heads um, and kind of quite separate from a physical experience of um, really enjoying our physicality so that's where the yoga comes in um the yoga asana practice or there are other methods too i mean for me i've always been drawn to the yoga asana practice but it you know it could be walking it could be exercise of another description it could even be something like dancing or um some kinds of meditation that really lend themselves to an embodiment experience and once mm. we've got that piece of the puzzle in place and we're starting to feel more embodied and some practitioners can help with that too treatments like acupuncture and massage can be really helpful as well then we can start tapping into intuitively what's going on both on a very kind of physiological level and on a more energetic level and that's where the the healing journey really begins yeah beautiful and it, I mean it really makes sense in order to know what your body needs and, and tap into that to actually be in your body and so many of us spend so much time up in our head or completely just out of ourselves altogether. Yeah so there's lots of different ways that we separate ourselves from what's going on physically particularly if there's pain or there's discomfort yeah. it's it's very um you know, it makes sense that we would do that. But I, I, my my feeling is particularly uh, technology is a huge problem. Just in the last 10 years or so, this uh, encroachment of, you know, mobile phones and the internet on our lives, it really is lending itself to that, that experience of profound disembodiment. And it's it's a problem. Yeah, it's a problem for our health on so many levels. Absolutely. So, what do, what do we do going forward then, especially when it comes to the younger generations? What do you think the yeah. answer is there? 
Well, awareness is a huge thing. So, you know, making limits and making restrictions on screen time and also appropriate behavior around use. I mean, you know, we all use it. We all love it. Technology is amazing. It's not that we have to go and live in a cave in the Himalayas and, you know, throw our mobile phones out the window. Um, But self-awareness and self-regulation, and it has to be self-regulation because no one else is going to do it for us. Um, And it's... It can be really simple things like having a family meal at the end of each day or, you know, having a meal with your partner or um, even just on your own, taking the time to cook and sit quietly and eat and maybe light a candle and not be scrolling or watching TV. Um, Keeping mobile phones out of the bedroom is a huge one. So that's one of the things I'm recommending on almost all of my trainings now is don't start the day looking at your screen and don't end it that way either. Um, <laughs> Which I think we all do. I know I do. Yeah, so many people do. And it's, it's, it's that sacred time. You know, so many of the ancient yogic and Ayurvedic scriptures going back to the Vedas, which are thousands of years old, talk about the precious moments of waking and the precious moments when we're falling asleep and that those those times of day which happen to all of us twice a day regardless of whatever else we're doing they're times that we have access to our deeper subconscious and to just a more magical a more magical Mm. mental realm a a place where we can tap into our intuition tap into our dream states um be be more relaxed even if you're suffering from anxiety or you're suffering from stress usually at the moment of falling asleep in the moment of waking that will be subdued Mm. and so why not use that precious opportunity that we've got for just a few moments just a few minutes to connect with spirit to connect with something deeper rather than connect with facebook (laughs) yeah that's so true and so powerful and so simple but until you hear it, you know, yeah. you, you can't really grasp that concept. But that's so true, yeah. Katie. Um, so tell us a little bit um, about the traditions of Ayurveda and where it sort of stems from, like for people who aren't kind of familiar with sure. the practice. So um, Ayurveda literally means life wisdom or life knowledge. Uh, it's commonly thought of as being the sister science to yoga. So they kind of sit very well together really it's the traditional Indian healing and wellness system so it's um, everything that uh, the ancient Indian tradition of yoga has to offer but coming at it from a a more kind of medicinal or um, health oriented perspective Mm. so Ayurveda can include a lot of different elements but really looks at lifestyle um, looks at the seasons looks at our own individual constitutional types looks at our own rhythms and routines Um, food is a huge part of the Ayurvedic protocols what we're eating and when we're eating and how we're eating Um, and then obviously if there is um, disease or um, if there are issues manifesting physically in the body then there are protocols for helping to heal yeah so i think people are quite familiar well maybe not familiar but if they had to kind of um uh what am i trying to say if they um you know if they know anything about ayurveda it's usually through food and diet yeah and um and the three um 
body constitutions. But you did say that seasons play a big role in Ayurveda. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so the whole of Ayurveda is built on the wisdom or the knowledge that life moves in cycles, that there are times that we have action and heat and we're kind of fired up and we're... um, motivated and we're externally focused and then there will be other times where we need to rest and replenish and renew and kind of almost hibernate Um, and that in between those two different states which some people might call the yin and the yang um, we have transition times so we have times we're moving from one through to the other so depending on where you live and depending on the time of year it's going to have an enormous impact on how you're acting and what what are going to be appropriate and helpful protocols for you. So I'll just give you one example because people often ask me about specific styles of yoga. So let's say, for example, Bikram yoga. It's a really good example. You know, somebody might say, oh, do you think, what do you think of Bikram yoga? Is Bikram yoga good? And the answer from an Ayurvedic perspective is it depends enormously on your constitutional type and also the type of weather conditions you're living in and the time of year. So For example, a person who is a little bit overweight and a little bit kind of sluggish in their metabolism and experiencing some depression, mild depression, living in, let's say, Sweden in the winter, Bikram yoga is going to be perfect for that person. The heat, the sweating, the dynamic element, the fire, all of those um, aspects of the Bikram practice are going to help to cut through that sluggish, slow metabolism, the colder weather, all of those um, elements that I've just described. But then if you take someone like me that's got a lot more fire in their system and tends towards overactivity and over a kind of um, exertion in Sydney in the middle of summer (laughs) um, and I was to start undertaking a Bikram practice, it's the worst thing possible. It's just going to send me off the charts with kind of heat and frustration and all that kind all that fire in my temperament is going to get exacerbated that is um, that's such a funny example Katie because I had a very small stint with Bikram yoga and I'm I'm a pitta for sure I'm so yeah. fiery and hot and yeah. I became as I often do with new types of exercise obsessed with it And I also noticed at the same time that I was becoming very, this was when I was working in an office, I was getting very short fused with people (laughs) and I was getting very angry because there was so much fire inside of me. Yep. Too much. Yep. (laughs) So I can relate to that analogy. And then again, particularly in the summer, you know, maybe you can get away with it in the cooler weather, Mm. but if you add like a 35 degree day, it's just a disaster. It's It's an explosion waiting to happen. Yeah, that's a really good example. So, I mean, the seasons, yeah, they're a really great way of um, tapping into the cycles of um, the universe. And there's a lot of different cycles that we can tap into as well. And I know that Ayurveda um, has a strong connection to one of my favorite cycles, which is the lunar cycle. So can you tell us a little bit about that connection? Sure. Well, one thing I'd like to say just before I go into the moon um, energy work yeah. is just it, just this idea of cycles. Just one thing that I'll add to that, which is that 
because we live in quite synthetic environments a lot of the time, we live in air conditioning or we live in climate controlled environments and um, we also are not so in touch with when the sun rises or when it gets dark, you know, it, our environments are very artificial and that's of course practical and useful but because of that we've become in general quite associated from all kinds of different cycles, whether they're the cycles of the seasons, the cycles of um, what food is growing at what particular time, so mm. eating according to, according to what's actually available from the land, um, and even the cycles of the day, the rhythm of the day is often, we just bypass it um, because we can, because we've got technology to support us to be able to just do what we want to do whenever we want to do it. So. Whether it's the seasons or the moon cycles or uh, rhythms within your food that you acknowledge, it's really valuable. And this is one of the key teachings, particularly of the sadhana approach of Ayurveda, to, to take on board that life is cyclical, that it does work in these phases, and to acknowledge that and try to live in such a way that reflects that to some to some degree and of course the moon cycles are um another option they're another way of of acknowledging this beautiful cycle that happens every month mm. it's um it's a it's, it's a funny thing you know this just back to the seasons quickly and cycles feeling artificial sometimes this winter in sydney that we just had it wasn't very cold and i felt like it really kind of threw the natural rhythms of my body because I'm so used to being able to take those three months to really kind of slow down and hibernate. And yeah. I feel like, along with a lot of other people, we didn't really get that chance this year. Yeah, it didn't happen. No. I agree. And we're already into summer and it's only spring and it's all sort of all yeah. over the shop. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so that's, I mean, that's why I feel like at least the moon keeps doing its thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when the seasons have messed yeah. with us. Yeah, yeah, climate change isn't going to affect the moon, thank goodness. No, thank goodness. Well, so, not yet. <laughs> um, yeah, so moon cycles, um, I guess the first thing to just contemplate for a moment is that our bodies are primarily made of water. And we know that the way that the moon interacts with planet Earth is has a huge impact on the movements of water, the tides of the oceans and the, the um, gravitational pull of water on this planet is impacted by the movement of the moon. And so as water beings, we are also impacted by the lunar cycles. So that's just a little bit of very, very foundation level science for people that feel like, well, what's the moon got to do with me? That's all a bit kind of woo woo and jingle jangle and out there. Um, we're actually deeply physiologically connected to the cycles of the moon. But, of course, because we've overlaid our experience of daily life with this quite synthetic, um, artificially imposed way of being that's, that's sort of disassociated from cycles and from the seasons, we aren't really aware of our relationship to the moon because it's subtle. Uh, and so the practices of meditation, the practices of self-reflection, and just slowing down and noticing are all practices that help us to come back into tune with the rhythm of the moon. Um, so, for example, one of the things that my teacher, Maya Tawari, speaks about and teaches on a lot is for women 
the idea that menstruation should be linked to the cycles of the moon. And, you know, in traditional cultures, including Ayurveda, a woman's menstrual cycle was actually referred to as her moon cycle. Mm. The, the link was so close that it was called the moon cycle. That was the naming for it. And the idea is, is that we, um, when we're in optimum health, when we're really in balance, we will menstruate on the new moon and we will, um, in full moon, we're at a time of kind of abundance or fullness that would facilitate conception if if we were in our reproductive years and if we were looking to conceive. And so that's just an interesting cycle to tune into and to reflect on and to see, you know, you can have a look at a little, like figure out where the moon is, figure out where your cycle is and just notice how close or how far you are from being in line with that rhythm. And the good news is if this, if you're not in sync, if you're not menstruating on new moon, there are very, very simple practices and protocols that you can do to bring yourself back into sync. And, and one of them, which I find fascinating, I'm just, this blows my mind, because I've been working with this stuff for years now and offering workshops on this exact topic for a long time and, and using these teachings in my own life, um, is that simply by focusing intention and attention on the moon, almost without any other protocol or any other um, effort, the, a woman's cycle starts to come back into sync. Mm. It's, I've seen it over and over again where women are like, okay, what do I need to do? How do I get into sync with the moon? It's like actually all you do is just start to pay attention start to notice it's so funny because i (laughs) i am not in sync with the moon um right i I have been in the past but i'm now i now sit my day one is halfway between the new moon and the full moon so in that in-between week and um i place a lot of intention on the moon um and the new moon especially (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i've really been trying to get it in sync and i yeah i've been having issues with that so I wonder I wonder what else I can do well um, there's there are other things so the first thing is the focus and then of course again same thing I mean I'm repeating myself now but it's such a salient point for our time because our lives are so synthetic all of us you know we're driving around in cars we're getting on air airplane living in these climate controlled environments the attention and the intention might not be enough and so there are other protocols that we can do to bring ourselves back into sync. Um, involve the use of herbs. And one of the protocols that my teacher recommends is that we can create a infusion in our bath water Ooh. and have like a really luxurious kind of ritualistic bathing experience um, with particular herbs at particular times that can help to bring the cycle back into um alignment with the moon so particularly um we use rose and also raspberry leaf which are two herbs or two um remedies available in nature that are really potent for reproductive health in general um you can use them as a tea and you can also use them as i said as a decoction um in your bath Mm -hmm. and there are other things too we can use crystals um there are particular mantras that we can use and just to say i'll just also add this in too because again it can sound a little bit hocus pocus these teachings are not like i'm not making these up these teachings go back 
thousands and thousands of years. They're, they're, they're recorded in a beautiful and very extensive scripture called the Charaka Samhita, which is at least 2,000, if not more, years old. And Charaka Samhita has all of the um, information about how we bring our cycle back into sync, including the use of these herbs and, surprisingly, including the use of gemstones and crystals as well. So it's not – this isn't new new age. No. This is ancient. No. Well, you, you're talking to the right crowd. You've got a good captive audience. Don't <laughs> worry. <laughs> um, okay, so that's really interesting. I'm – I'm going to make that my mission in a very passive, subtle, feminine way. Yes, to, um, in a non-pitter way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, to, to get in line. Do you think that I've, – I've spoken about this on the podcast before. I can't remember who it was with, but do you think light has a lot to do with it? Because I've got yes. this artificial light that comes in from the apartment block next door. Yeah, And it shines I do. straight into my bedroom. I think it has a huge impact and mm. because that's going to be affecting your melatonin, which is also going to be affecting your circadian rhythm. And all of that is interlinked into menstrual cycle, monthly cycle, um, daily, like sleeping, waking cycles, definitely. Um, wear an eye mask. Just yeah, I, I do have one, but I need to actually wear it all the time. <laughs> yeah, every night. Yeah. Okay. Yay. Little fun project. Yeah. Yeah. So I have I have a yoga question for you. Sure. Talking about Ayurveda and the moon and our menstrual cycles. It's often said in yoga classes that we should at all times um, avoid inversion asanas mm. when we are um, menstruating. What, right. What, what, what's your advice on that? Because, I, I mean, a lot of people say absolutely not. And then mm. I've heard a few people say that it's just... Sure. Great question. Well, there's a couple of things here. First of all, um, some people have a misunderstanding about this, which is that the reason for not inverting during menstruation is that we don't want the menstrual fluid to go back into the uterus. And I've even heard people go so far as to say if menstrual fluid goes back into the uterus, it could get into the fallopian tubes and it could exacerbate... Um, endometriosis or other kind of health issues mm. that is bogus oh. your body's power of elimination is profound um and it, your body will eliminate that menstrual fluid whether you're upside down or the right way around um it's a little bit like you can drink a glass of water upside down it's harder work for your body but it, it will happen it'll make its way yeah right okay so it's that's not the reason so it's good to kind of just know that it's not actually a physical reason but i do think that there are two very compelling energetic reasons why we would avoid inversions during menstruation and personally i don't invert on the first three days of my cycle for these reasons okay so the first is purely about energy if you are doing a practice that includes inversions it's probably quite a dynamic practice and my suggestion would be that for the first three days of your menstrual cycle you should be doing a restorative practice it's the perfect time for a yin introverted reflective meditation oriented practice so inversions are probably not going to be part of that um, and if you're a person that's finding it difficult to let go of your dynamic practice in those first three days, then I would be asking the question, why? Mm. Why, is, why are you pushing so hard? Why can't you have three days that are softer and more in line with what your body is actually needing at this time? 
so that's a kind of personal reflection um, exercise, I guess. And then the other reason has to do with the way that energy moves in the body. So according to the subtle anatomy teachings of yoga, prana or life force circulates in the body in five different directions. And one of those directions is what's known as the apanavayu. And the apanavayu is downward moving energy. It's the energy of elimination. So it's the energy that's responsible for a bowel movement, for the passing of urine, for your menstrual flow. The strongest manifestation of apanavayu that you'll ever see is in giving birth. So when a baby is born, that's apanavayu like at its fullest expression. Yeah. Um, and during menstruation, we want to support the apanavayu, the downward moving energy, because it's what your body is naturally doing at that time. By turning yourself upside down, you alter the way that the apanavayu moves in the body. Now, this is very beneficial if you're not menstruating, because it kind of mixes things up. It's a little bit like, you know, you shake a... Um, you know, you, you shake a salad dressing before you dress your salad with it. Like you kind of amalgamate everything to yeah. kind of get it, get the juices flowing. Yeah. So same with the human body. That's part of what asana practice is. It's like we shake everything up, we move it around to um, to get that amalgam happening so that we feel vitalized by prana in all parts, every cell. But during menstruation, we don't want to have that experience of turning the downward moving energy, the apana, upside down it's counterintuitive again back to that idea it's like trying to drink a glass of water upside down it's just not it doesn't feel right mm. so respecting the body's natural rhythm of elimination of a panavayu in those first three days means traditionally that we wouldn't take an inverted practice okay well that makes sense that makes sense so and and you know from a from a purely physical perspective and personal perspective, it doesn't feel right for me to be inverting yeah. during that time. But, yeah, that makes a lot more sense to me than the menstrual fluid flowing back into my uterus. Yeah. yeah. We have this <laughs> funny thing in our culture. We do it with menstruation and we do it a lot with pregnancy mm. where we – and it's part of the feminist movement and I get it. I totally get it. We, we want to pretend nothing's happening so that we can just keep going because somehow that's like we're strong and we're capable and we're not, we don't want to be seen as weak as women. So, you know, when you're pregnant, we have this thing in our culture where we don't tell anyone for the first three months as if, um, you know, somehow to express that vulnerability is would be problematic or would be unsupported or would show us as less than in some way. Mm. And then there's that whole kind of idea that, oh, well, the, the pregnancy hasn't stuck until we get to 12 weeks. So we wouldn't tell anyone because it's kind of like this, this fearful idea that, um, well, I might, you know, the pregnancy might not go to term anyway. Whereas if we can embrace and accept and acknowledge again that we move through cycles and that there's nothing wrong with having a period of time where we need to do less, where we don't need to be throwing ourselves around the yoga mat like crazy or where we need to be taking things a little bit more gently at work or just in a more introspective and reflective and perhaps even creative space mm. and that we have different gifts to offer. We might be more nurturing during that time. We might be more capable of being empathetic or compassionate. So we might even in the workplace, we might have different skills and different gifts to offer rather than this very masculine idea that in order to 
be feminists we somehow have to become emasculated and not acknowledge our feminine cycles absolutely and i mean the same thing goes for men right like they need to be going through energetic cycles as well to maintain um their energy levels and their um you know capacity to show up in the world right absolutely and and permitted to express emotion Mm. you know i'm i'm raising four boys i think one of the things that um is really important for me is is permitting their true freedom of expression of who they are and what they're interested in and their emotional responses. When you start to look at it, everything in the universe, be it flora, be it fauna, be it ether, be it whatever, is moving mm-hmm. in cycles. So why would we as humans be mm. any different? Why are we so arrogant that we yes. think <laughs> that we can just sidestep one of the, the strongest and most compelling aspects of being alive. Mm. Like this, look in the human body, the, the life and birth and death of a cell in your body. We are made up of these cycles. And yet somehow we think that we can navigate around them and that we'll be okay. Yeah. And it doesn't, the trouble is it doesn't always show up straight away. It shows up slowly and it shows up in increments and it shows up in ways that we don't necessarily associate with, um, you know, it's not always like a direct cause and effect situation. So things like the escalating levels of anxiety, escalating levels of stress, uh, escalating levels of attention deficit disorders, all of these things have so many roots, so much foundation in our refusal to acknowledge that we are cyclical beings that we live actually in deep resonance with the natural world and that when we deny that all kinds of problems start to bubble up so katie if people want to find out more about you and what you do and maybe some of the workshops or trainings that you um, provide where can they go yeah they can go to my website so my website is just my name it's katie minitsis which is k-a-t-i-e m-a-n-i-t-s-a-s dot com dot a-u um, I run once a year a more in-depth Ayurveda training which runs over six days spread out over a few months um, and I also do one day workshops, I have a women's workshop coming up very soon um, and I work one on one with people as well doing yoga and Ayurveda consultations so it's all on the website Beautiful. All right. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I know this is going to be a conversation that people are going to love listening to because I found a lot of valuable information in it and I know that they will too. Thanks so much for having me. So If you love all this moony stuff, I would love you to come and join me for one of my Lunar Nights events. And this month I'm holding one in Sydney and in Melbourne. It's my first time in Melbourne. I'll be there on the 17th of November and the Sydney event is on the 18th. For all the details, head to my website, jordanalevine.com forward slash events. That's J-O-R-D-A-N-N-A-L-E-V-I-N.com forward slash events. I hope to see you there. And until next time, I'm Jordana Levine wishing you an inspirational week.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.